Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Josh, and this is also like my eighth time trying to do this. Um, so, you know, just recently I started doing these little bitty pre-episode intros, uh, mainly due to the coronavirus. Um, I do want to say continue washing your hands, continue avoiding large crowds, everybody be mindful, stay safe, protect yourself. Um, the reason for this one, though, Turn your audio down just a hair. I accidentally fucked something up in the EQ, and so this podcast will be loud as shit. Um, with that being said, I hope you guys enjoy it. Go follow Rob at McDojo Life on Instagram. It's at McDojo Show, at McDojo Life Doc. He has a couple Instagrams. Go follow him, buy his merch, support this man. This guy is a saint. Um, with that being said, here we go. Let's uh, Let's jump right into it. Yes, sir. All right. Um, everybody, this is Rob with McDojo Life. And before I hit record, uh, we were actually talking about bare knuckle. What, uh, how do you feel about bare knuckle since we, we kind of already got this far with the conversation? <laughs> well, I mean, bare knuckle is interesting because it's kind of like a last bastion for a lot of fighters to have a second start. So, like, you see guys, our ladies, like uh, Rowdy Beck, right? She was able to kind of reignite her career because of it, which was awesome. I think that was good for her. Um, I'm not sure what will happen in the long run because I think it's very difficult to have superstars of something like that because um, the longevity just isn't there. You know, every fighter is breaking every <laughs> every fighter is breaking their hands, you know. Um, so I, I, I don't know. I think that it's kind of a cool thing, though, for fighters to have a second chance. That's kind of seems what like what it's really being used for right now. Yeah. I, uh, I mean, me and you were just talking, like, like I I think it's a super cool company, and I, I really enjoy everybody that I've worked with, but damn, man, like, people are getting fucked up. Yeah, and I like, went to an after party, <laughs> and like, <laughs> they had, like, the official after party, and one of my favorite things to do at any nightclub or bar is if they have a punching machine, I look super nerdy. Like, I'm the most nerdy-looking dude on the planet. I look like all I do is play D&D and drink Mountain Dew all day, right? <laughs> but, but, I'm drinking like, a fucking Mountain Dew right now, you asshole. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, I look nerdy. I'm, like, the epitome of a nerd. I look like I need to, dot a draw, like, fucking roll the 1D6 to walk down the street, right? <laughs> and so when I uh, when I get to these clubs or bars, I like to sit next to one of these punching machines and wait for people to start hitting it. And after they start to hit it, my little nerdy skinny ass self will walk up, and I'll just crack it as hard as I can to get the high score, which usually happens, like, once and then i'll sit down and just watch people just spend the entire night just tossing money into these things to uh try to beat the score and it's always a blast i always have fun doing it it gives me hours of entertainment well i thought it would be a good bit is if i went there and had the fighters do it with me you know like you know the the nerdy dude with the fighters and then i realized holy shit all of these people every one of these people has broken their hand <laughs> nobody's able to hit the fucking thing not a one person they all their hands were broken all the fighters hands were just like swollen and my homie man even um you know jim allers yeah who, yeah. who is just murdering people right now in that in that sport um you know he he really it really revitalized his career you know i say good for him i really hope they give him a damn title shot i think he's deserved it by now he's knocking dudes out in first rounds I think he's going to end up fighting uh, Luis Palomino, honestly. And that, that'll that be a good-ass fight, man, because Palomino, um, if I'm not mistaken, he was the champion at, at 
WSOF before Gaethje, right? I'm not sure. I'm terrible at that kind of stuff. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I've been hitting the head very a lot over the years, so oh, I don't know who the hell I am sometimes. <laughs> so, um, uh, I want to see him fight Artem, though. That's the fight I want to see. Oh, yeah, and Artem, Artem has to be the money fight for everybody there. Yeah, and I think Jim's earned it, and I think that that would be a hell of a fight. Um, and I like both of those guys. I like Artem a lot. Like, I, when I got the chance to really sit down and talk with Artem and meet him, he's, like, the nicest dude ever. He's, he's a fucking cool guy, right? <laughs> yeah, and, like, the dude's, like, really smart. Like, he, he was in college for something finances. Like, he's not a dumb man, and he's one of the only people who didn't have to fight. He was like, man, I just kind of want to do this, <laughs> you know? That dude could be doing something in finance right now, making a ton of money. But instead, he's fighting people, and he's still making a ton of money. His, uh, his last fight, man, against, against Jason Knight, Oh my gosh, that shit super tore me up because like I I really love Jason Knight, but at the same time like I I kind of wanted uh, Artem to win, but but damn man he got fucked up in that last fight man, and bare knuckles so scary man because you know like like when you're watching a UFC fight like you see people like they have gloves and there's um like certain precautions that are taken you know sometimes for better or for worse a fight will get stopped prematurely. But then in yeah. bare knuckle, you can get knocked the fuck down, be completely out of it, and stand right back up and, and keep getting lit up. You know what I mean? That's kind of how Lethway is, man. Have you watched any Lethway? I have with the headbutts. Yeah, you could be knocked out, completely out cold, and you're allowed to fight one more time after being knocked out. Like, they'll wake you up and be like, you good? All right, get back in there. <laughs> mm. <laughs> there was a time, I actually, I got, um, I got hit with a flash knockdown one time and fucking... I think it was Daytona or something, dude. And I stood up. And even though all my senses were there, like, my body wasn't. And, of course, the fight got stopped. It was, like, the only time I've ever been knocked out. And at the time, I was, like, super pissed. I was like, fuck, man, I could have kept going. But now that I look back, like, fuck, dude. Like, I'm glad that that didn't go forward, you know? Like, and that was just a fucking, just a little quick flash knockdown. Like, I went down. I popped back up. And then, of course, I probably had, like, a fucking lazy eye or something. The (laughs) rest. <laughs> the, ref, the, the ref didn't want it to keep going. I but. think this man has had a stroke. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna spit the uh, the Jack Daniels there for a second. <laughs> hey man, how's this quarantine been for your uh, for your diet and everything? I mean, I don't. I, after I stopped fighting, I really stopped giving too much of a shit. Um, you know, I haven't fought forever. I was 165 pounds before we started working on the documentary. And then when we started talking about doing the documentary and then we did a test, some test footage in LA with a seminar that was out there, the dude that showed up was like six foot five, 350 pounds or something like that. He was massive. And uh, I realized that my 165 pound ass, no matter how much martial arts I knew, was at an extreme deficit. So during that time, I was like, fuck that. I'm going to gain some weight. And so I was like, my goal was to hit 200. And then, of course, I hit 200, which was damn near impossible for me to do. And then I got to 215 way too easy. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I was like, mm, nah, I don't like that. And then so I dropped back down. So I'm 190 right now, and I've just been kind of maintaining. Um, and so once we start getting more definitive dates, I'm going to start trying to lean out. I'll probably wind up settling at about 185. Um, but the goal is to not be so small. The goal is to be a little bigger when going to these gyms. Um, so that way I don't have to have this extreme deficit just in case something does happen to where 
you know, things will get physical. I won't be just like this big, fat, out of shape chud, or I won't be this literally skinny dude, you know? Yeah. I, uh, well, you know, I, just this last year, I, I actually quit fighting. I think the last time I saw you, I was still wanting to pursue fighting. And then right after you, you had came by, um, me and you had ran into each other and I seen you. And then right after that, dude, like a month later, I had my whole face rearranged, um, in like an accident, uh, Ouch. work accident. I had my whole face rearranged. And then after that, dude, because I took, you know, a pretty good hit in the head then. And after that, dude, I was like, fuck, man, like, I really can't take too many shots to the head, you know? Yeah. And uh, so I was still training, still coaching Muay Thai, still doing jiu-jitsu. And uh, here lately, I've been kind of like, oh, I want to I wanna bulk up. So today, actually, one of my really good friends hooked me up with a bunch of old. Um, he gave me, like, a couple uh, Olympic bars and, like, a Z-bar and, like, some dumbbells and Oh, plates, nice. You know, weights. Yeah. And so I hit it really hard earlier before me and you got started. Um, but my goal, you know, because I fought at 125, 135, 145, my goal is to walk around at like 160. Yeah. So I, and I'm like 140 right now. But, dude, I've been eating like shit. So I'm, I'm thinking I'm going to hit 160, but it's going to be all fucking beer and, and honey buns and shit. <laughs> well, that's what happened to me when I got to 215. I like, I was like, what do I do normally? Because I keep I keep getting stuck at this 165. I was like, I want to be 180. That's always been my goal walk around weight was 185 because I'm 6'1". Mm-hmm. So me, like anything under 180, I just look emaciated. I don't look healthy. And so I was like, well, let's just go ahead and handle it. How do I, how do I gain weight? And so I read basically every book I could on how to gain weight. And I was like, the fastest way to gain weight truly is to eat like utter shit at the worst oh, yeah. time. And so I was oh, like, yeah. well, you know what? I'm just going to eat whatever the fuck I want. I'm going to enjoy this ride, and I'm going to eat a ton of shit. And you know what else actually helped me gain the weight was weed. Really? Yeah, dude, because I have, like, I, re- I don't really smoke weed except for whenever I'm in pain. Mm-hmm. So, and, and up to the time I was, like, 30, I never smoked it anyway. I just, it just never, it wasn't appealing to me. I didn't like the way it made me feel. Like, it wasn't a fun high. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, when I got to about 30... Um, trying to maintain the same things you do in your 20s just don't work. Your body hurts all the time. You wake up in pain. And so I was like, you know, I need something to kind of like help make this shit not hurt anymore. And I spent, I mean, from the time I was 12 to the time I was like 26, I was a hardcore competitor. I competed all the time, even on international levels like NASCA, WACO and stuff like that. I was competing a lot. And so by the time I got like to 30, I was like, fuck. I'm hurting, <laughs> you know, that's what it feels like to be old. And then so I decided like to, for pain management to start smoking weed before I went to bed so I could sleep after training because that would be the, the times I would hurt the worst mm-hmm. is roughly about an hour after training when my adrenaline would stop and I would be home. I'd sit on the couch, eat my, uh, my dinner for the night. I'd go to stand up and I would, I'd have a hard time moving. It's like, fuck, I started smoking weed. All that shit went away not addicted to it. I don't smoke it all the time. I only smoke it when I'm in pain, but I realized that I have munchies hardcore when I smoke weed. So I was like, I need to gain some weight. So I started smoking weed and I started eating everything in fucking sight. 215 got to me quick. (laughs) So now I'm uh, around 190 and I just want to stay there. I work for, uh, for the, uh, the state. So I'm, (laughs) I'm a little, uh, it's a little bit more difficult for me to uh, want to smoke weed which I, most of the time like i don't because um i don't know i'm kind of like you like i don't really like the way it, 
And you know, like, this new shit, like, when I was growing up, I was, like, an everyday smoker, and it didn't affect me at all. I can take one hit off the, the little carts or whatever, and, dude, you can't even fucking drive after that. Oh, and, yeah, uh, I can't. I can't function. I'm not one yeah. of those people that's, like, again, I'm not recreational, because I can't be around people on that shit. I just stare. Like, I'll stare <laughs> at, like, the TV, and I'll be like, oh, shit, five episodes has gone by, and I have no clue what they were saying. I have to start over tomorrow when I'm sober. I uh I really like the CBD stuff though, and you know after I broke my ankle and and even after my face got fucking rearranged, I love the CBD uh, like the rubs like like if I can just rub that shit on my ankle or just rub it on my face, and it kind of I don't know it kind of makes me feel a little bit better, but um I don't like I don't have a problem eating. It's just like I don't know like I guess I'm not doing enough weight training, which now I I want to just start fucking powerlifting to try to gain this weight. But I want to gain it the right way. You know, nobody wants to be like a fucking a gut, you know? Yeah, it's it's tough, man. Gaining the weight and maintaining a decent figure is hard. Like, it uh, is. You know, like, you, you if you look at the – I was on a podcast earlier today. We were talking about, like, the the strongman contests, like the, the world's biggest dudes, you know, like the guys who power lift, like, big-ass granite boulders on top of shit. Um, but they all look kind of fat. But that's because they, they can lift a bus. You know, like they they earn the right to look however they want because they will crush your head. So I ain't saying shit. Do you uh you know that Robert Oberst guy that does that that TV show now on like the History Channel or whatever? What's the, what's he was, the show? He was oh, fuck I don't even know the name of the show, but he was on uh, Joe Rogan not too long ago. His name's Robert Oberst, I believe. Huh. Um, yeah, he they, he does the strongman shit where they they go they go and like they recreate um like these acts of strength like these feats of strength kind of yeah. super fucking cool man he was talking about it and i was like fuck i want to go watch it but i don't even like i don't have uh like regular television anymore like does anybody like that seems to be a thing of the past right now man i uh see that's what i'm saying how do you watch the history channel <laughs> like i guess you gotta show yeah isn't that where everything goes everything is an app now no shit they have an app for that well, they have an app for, like, everything. Like, if you want, like, Comedy Central, you can just, like, pay for just Comedy Central and through the app. Like It's it's the strongest man in history. I didn't mean to cut you off there. It's the strongest no, it's man in history. Where, like, they recreate these, um, like, he he was telling this story about, like, this man was jailed in, like, 1800s in England or whatever. And, like, supposedly, like, somebody came and picked up the entire jail and, like, carried it down the street. And so they recreate these entire scenes, like... Like, they build, like, a little, like, old-school jail cells, and then one of them has to, like, pick it up and carry it and shit. Super cool, but looking at that guy, you would never, you would never fucking guess that he's, like, one of the world's strongest men, you know? Yeah, that's crazy. That's such a cool concept for a show, though, like, recreating, like, these acts of, you know, like, the whole uh, marathon thing, like, how marathon got started. Marathon, as in, like, a... uh, The race. Like, the, the race was, like, based off of an uh, actual event that happened where this dude had to carry a message, and he had to run the length of a marathon, like, what we consider a marathon now, I guess, and he died delivering the message. Like, he ran, like, this marathon, and then by the time he got there to deliver the message, he just keeled over and died because it was so hard to do. Holy shit. <laughs> yeah, wow, look up the story of marathon, man. It's pretty crazy. And then, like, people's fucking grandmas are doing this shit on, like, Thanksgiving. Oh, well, yeah, yeah even... times have to change, sir. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Hey man, before we get too before we get too far, um, for anybody that might not know who you are, because I was looking, you have a pretty fucking incredible um, like following like fan base. But for anyone who might not know who you are, um, really quick, do you care to like kind of describe that? You you run McDojo Life, which you expose fake martial artists, right? Yes, sir. And you're you're currently crowdfunding a documentary um, for Netflix, correct? Yeah, so we're crowdfunding a documentary where it's going to air. We don't know because oh, that's like distribution. You know, we would love for it to be on Netflix, but as of right now, you know, we just finished the crowdfunding. We raised about $20,000, which is amazing, to be honest. Um, to have that kind of backing is, uh, you know, it really means a lot because the only reason I even do McDojo Life is because I want the community to grow. And, uh, I hate seeing people get taken advantage of, so I call out fakes, frauds, and phonies in the martial arts community. Um, and, you know, there is no regulating body to the martial arts, like all martial arts. And so because of that, it's kind of the wild, wild west of people being able to get away with pretty much conning anyone uh, without any repercussion. And so it's so rampant that I post once a day, every day on my social media accounts, which is all under McDojo Life, a video of one of these con men every day. And I've been doing it for seven, eight years now, and I have yet to run out of content. That's how many there are. Imagine 365 times seven or eight. Mm-hmm. And that's how many people I have posted who are con men in the martial arts. God bless. That is, <laughs> that is fucking, like, that's unreal, you know? Um, and I never run out. I never run out of content. I Like, tomorrow, I already have, like, ten more things in the queue. <laughs> just It just baffles me. You know, but we are making a documentary about that, and we really hope to help some people out to at least make better, more informed decisions uh, on what they decide to do in their martial arts journey. So you just said a second ago that uh, that somebody you knew got scammed, and that's how you you kind of got started on this. Um, I well, how I got started uh, wasn't because it was somebody I knew. I got started um, because somebody didn't know. So I was a uh, at a jiu-jitsu class that I was substituting for. The instructor was sick, mm-hmm. and I was like a two- or three-stripe blue belt at the time. So I'd been training for quite a while, enough to like teach a class when the instructor was sick. Yeah. And so I went in. I substituted for him. You know, we, we did some basic shit. And then after that, it was a noon class, so we all kind of stood around just kind of shooting the crap. And we're all talking. We got on the subject to make dojos, and we're laughing, telling stories and stuff. And then everybody left except for somebody. It was like his second day or something like that. Mm-hmm. And so he was so new to the martial arts that he stopped while after everybody left, and he pulled me back. And he was like, hey, I'm a little embarrassed. I'm new. I don't know what a make dojo is. So he basically stood there for like an hour listening to us talk about this thing, and he never interjected because he didn't Confused know what he was talking about. Yeah, and so – I explained to him what have now become my five rules of what a McDojo is. Um, and then he was like, well, how come no- nobody does anything about that? And so that kind of – I told him there was no regulating body to the martial arts. But the question still remained, how come no one does anything about it? And so all night, like I just couldn't sleep. <laughs> I, I was like, well, fuck, how come no one does do anything about this? And then I realized <laughs> I was like, maybe there's – maybe somebody should at least try. And I was like, I don't know where I'm going to go with it, and I don't know what's going to come of it, but I'll at least try. Um, and so I started McDojo Life the next day, and I've been doing it ever since. Have you have you told that person that they, they had this profound effect on you? Like, to be honest, like, I, I, I mean, I think the guy maybe trained for a month and then disappeared. I can't even tell you the dude's name anymore. 
You know, he was like, it was so long ago. He was just like, I didn't even really think about it until like years later because then I started doing people's podcasts. And of course, it wasn't super popular when it started. It's like anything else, right? You start off at the bottom, you work your way, and you, you work hard enough, and you can make something out of anything. Mm-hmm. And uh, it wasn't until years later that I was even asked the question, hey, what made you start this? And so by that time, I had completely forgotten the dude's name. Um, but, you know, I, I really hope that if he ever does listen to one of these that he remembers and he knows that he's the one that kind of started and sparked the idea. What if he's out there teaching people to fucking arm themselves with, like, umbrellas and shit? Like, like what then if he, he is... will eventually end up on the page like everybody else, <laughs> you know? Do you, do you think in a way you kind of, uh, like, you've kind of taken the term, like, McDojo and, like, made it super popular? Like, I was honestly under the impression when I first met you, like, the first time we ever met in person, I was under the impression you created that term. Well, I mean, I never take credit for it. So, like, may, it, maybe, you know, maybe that you were under the impression because you hadn't heard it up to that point. Um, I guess so, I, yeah. But I knew I, I knew the phrase McDojo since I started when I was 12. It's been a phrase that's been around for a really long time. Um, my goal really, you know, other than helping the community, is I, I really hope that we can change that term from what people consider it now, which is almost 100% financial, to start focusing a lot more on issues that are more prevalent and more important than money. Because nine times out of ten, people use the term basically to bash another school because they're financially successful, when that should be the farthest thing from our mind as to what a fraud is. Um, There are pedophiles out there that are getting away with it. There are people who are uh, abusing students physically. They're taking advantage of people, of course, financially. But that's a drop in the bucket compared to, like, the lies or the abuse that they're giving their students, like, there's some really hardcore illegal shit going on that people turn a blind eye to simply because they're a martial arts instructor. Did you did you um did you bust like a pedophile or or you yeah. you put him yeah, okay. I bust a few. So, so my childhood best friend actually lives in in Utah, right? He lives in St. George, Utah, which yeah. is very far removed from from, you know. Um so he actually I had told him earlier today I was like, "Yeah, I'm I'm gonna have this guy on the, the podcast and, and I was telling him about your page and he said holy shit he's the guy that busted the pedophile and I was like really like I didn't even you know what I'm saying like like I had no idea but that is what my buddy knew you as it was like the guy who busted a pedophile and then he looked it up and he was like yeah sure enough like he, he busted a pedophile I was like holy shit like like me dojo life is fucking superman <laughs> you know <laughs> no. what I mean like it's it's so fucking cool that you like I honestly I love what you're doing because like too many fucking people are getting scammed or they're in this small room with somebody who they don't even fucking like they don't know who this person is that's that's quote unquote teaching them um anything you know what i mean and then after the doors lock up these are the same guys that are they're they're fucking creeps you know yeah and, I mean, uh, i'm just somebody who really i really love the martial arts right it's done a lot for me it's mm-hmm. cliche to say, but it's changed my life for the better, you know, and obviously now I have a, a, a very fulfilling career doing this. Uh, but up to this point, what I've always known is being a martial arts instructor, you know, until like a year ago. This is I mean, martial arts is all I ever did for really for a career. I had little odds and end jobs here and there um, to make a little bit extra income, but I always did it because I wanted to be a martial arts instructor. And um you know, it's it really something that it's changed my life for the better. It gave me a purpose. 
Um, it, it when I was a kid getting beat up, it helped me not get beat up anymore. It gave me confidence and the fact that I have scars on my face and to not care what people think about me, like it gave me a purpose. And so I look at any other martial arts studio and I think, well, this is giving other people purpose too. And some people fall into that so deeply that they ignore all the other things that are going wrong and they'll allow things like their child to be abused because they can't possibly think that that instructor could be a pedophile. Then you know what's even crazier is as long as I've done this, I've always preached that pedophilia is a huge problem in the martial arts community. And I keep preaching it and preaching it, and it seems to fall on deaf ears because every single person show that I've been on, probably hundreds at this point, right, have always said, what? And then I tell them to do the same thing I'm going to tell you to do and anybody else who's listening right now. Just type into Google martial arts arrested or karate arrested. Type in those words together and just look within the last month. I bet you more than one person has been arrested for molesting a child in the United States alone for being a pedophile. Jesus Christ. That's that's so fucking like like that's so fucking disturbing because like you were saying like you've grown up in this community and like I have too like I started karate at a young age like like I've competed my entire life and uh, I am kind of one of those people who like I I knew that certain schools you know what I, you know what I mean certain schools have those those bad seeds and shit yeah. but I never realized it was that fucking common you know what I mean and like it's it's fucking disgusting and and uh, of course you know anybody anybody in our in our positions that would see something like that going on um of course would would say something but for anybody listening who might see something or, or hear something like don't be afraid to fucking come forward you know like that shit's that's just fucking scary man especially like once you have fucking kids man like like that shit drives me up the fucking walls just sitting and thinking about this shit and uh like i said man i can't thank you enough for what you're doing man that's that's fucking incredible you know, it's it's one of those things where I'm just doing what I think is the right thing to do. I don't think I'm doing anything special or incredible. You know, I always was I always listen to um, people who are way smarter than me and I just try to absorb what they have to say. And uh, there's a quote that has always stuck with me and it always will is that the opposite of good is not evil. The opposite of good is indifference. It's good people not standing up for the right thing. And when people see stuff like you know, people getting financially ripped off or they see people who are getting taken advantage of. What happens is it seems like in the martial arts industry, their ego kicks in and they say, good, they'll close and I'll take their students instead of trying to stop it. You know, like I knew that guy was a pedophile. Why the fuck didn't you say anything? You know, why didn't you stop it? You know, how many people could you have saved from having that lifetime, which it is a lifetime, by the way, of having to deal with that mental anguish, Mm -hmm. you know, like, why didn't you do anything to begin with? And all these great martial artists think you know, here, here's an example, like just to kind of break it down. Right. Let's say we're all in a swimming pool and we're in a public pool. And let's say you're karate and I'll be jujitsu. And then we have taekwondo and we're hanging out with Kempo and we're hanging out with judo. And we're all hanging out swimming in the pool. Right. Even, fuck, even Aikido's hanging out. He's got floaties on, but he's still allowed on our side. All right. <laughs> so all of us are hanging out at the pool. And then all of a sudden, here comes, let's say, somebody like a George Dillman. And George Dillman walks up to the edge of the pool on the outside of the pool, and he starts just peeing into the pool. Not being in the pool peeing, but literally standing on the outside peeing into the pool. 
Now, Every single one of us is going to touch that piss. Yeah, exactly. So what, what would happen, right? So we're in our pool, and we're handling our business. So how the martial arts community unfortunately reacts to that now, which is the equivalent, is they go, oh, well, let's not worry about him. We'll just worry about our guys and teach our guys how to swim, and he won't affect us. Eventually, he'll go away. Well, that's not how reality works, because what's going to happen is next thing you know, the Bujinkan ninjutsu guys walk up, and they go, oh, we're allowed to pee into here? And then they start peeing. And then next thing you know, another group comes up, and they go, oh, we can pee in here? And then they start peeing, and eventually, there's more piss in the pool than there are people in the pool. And so what do we do? We can we have one or two options. We can either tell those people, hey, stop, or we get out of the pool, and the pool belongs to them. And unfortunately, what's happening in the martial arts community now is more people are getting out of the pool than speaking up for the community. And that is ridiculous to me. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely – like, it's absolutely fucking sad, man. And and like you said, it's people who are who are acknowledging it and just moving forward that, that are uh, – I don't want to say that they're causing a problem, but they're, they're extending the problem. You know well, I mean? they're not doing anything about it, you know? And like I said, yeah. the opposite of good isn't evil, it's indifference. So because they're so indifferent about it, they're allowing it. That's just as bad, if not worse. Fucking crazy, man. Um, of course, you know I share all your shit, but I'm, I'm going to continue to share your shit. I'm trying to get you as many fans as, as I possibly can, man, because I even even before um, you explained, you know, what you just explained, because like, like I said, like, it's not that I was turning a blind eye to anything. I just truly didn't know that, that the martial arts community had that big of a, a problem. Um, like with pedophilia, you know, I, I kind of assumed it was, it was, um, like a one in 10 kind of shot, you know? And, um, but I had no idea that it was that fucking bad man. And, and like I said, I appreciate you for, for being the fucking guy. And like, like we were talking about before we got started, like you received fucking death threats, man. Like you're, you're obviously, like you're in this life, um, like helping these people. Like, like it's, I don't like, I don't like saying it's your calling, but it's like it's like it's it's your fucking calling, you know? I don't know. Like I, uh, you know, I think that as as martial artists or as people, you know, like me personally, anyway, I have like a five year thing. So like every five years, I reassess and find out what I need to do with the next five years of my life, right? Mm. And then in that time, you know, you you pull out your short, your mid, your long-term goals, and you think, okay, well, in this five years, what am I going to do to reach that goal? And then, you know, once you reach that, that fifth year, you decide, do you want to continue down this path or start a new path? And so in the martial arts community, I've always wanted to try to give back as much as I can. I just never really knew how. Um, and then just one day, it just kind of fell into place. Um, you know, and again, I'm just somebody who likes the martial arts. I am not the greatest in the world. I am super mediocre. All right. Like I, I get, I let people know all over the world. Like, look, man, I'm not going to be the guy who's going to teach you the jujitsu tutorial. All right. I'm a two stripe blue, uh, purple belt in jujitsu, right? You don't want to learn the tutorial from me, learn the tutorial from somebody who's better, right? I was a kickboxer. Sure. Do I know kickboxing? Can I teach a class? Sure. Do you want to learn the tutorial online from me? No. Right. And the best I could I could give people in terms of tutorials is like a nunchuck tutorial. Right. Because I think that I'm probably one of the best when it comes to that. But other than that, man, I'm mediocre. So like when it comes to like the martial arts and stuff like that, what I can hang my hat on and to be proud of in this industry is to try to help the industry. You know, I just want what's best for the student. I don't give a shit about the school owner unless the school owner cares about the student. 
And so if what's best is to help the owner and that helps the student, then cool. But if I'm only helping just the owner and they don't give a shit about students, then I'm just helping the problem. And I think there are a lot of people out there right now who are school owners that they care a lot about their students. They care a lot about their school, but they don't really care about anybody else in the community other than that little pool. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that needs to change. You know, I think that we should give a shit about the other guy's student, too. Even though they're not our student, they're still in this community. And as a team, we should all be looking after the student, even if they're not a student yet. If there's somebody who hasn't signed up yet, we should be giving information and telling people how to make a more informed decision. Nobody is looking after that person. And I really hope to be that person to do that, is to help the people who haven't signed up yet make better, more informed decisions. So that way, with the next five years of their life, they don't sign up on a, with a cult. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and get fucking absolutely brainwashed into like back into the machine, back into the into the problem. Um, so in your five years, right? So in your five years, where do you go from here? Like, is this? I mean, it, we were just talking about the documentary and and how um, you know you crowdfunded it. Now you're you're filming now, correct? Like you don't already have it all filmed? No, we, we were supposed to start filming April 20th, okay. but unfortunately the coronavirus stuff has shut down most gyms. So and not shut them down permanently, but temporarily gyms are closed. Um, so we're having to wait to see when gyms will open up. As of right now, it probably looks like we're shooting more for like a June film date just now because we're kind of in limbo like everybody else. So we don't know for sure. Um, but it looks like probably a little bit more towards June. Um, so, and then if if we're able to start filming in June, um, then we'll be able to knock it out, hopefully within a matter of four to six months. Um, it all just kind of depends on finances and storyboarding. Um, but then once we're done with that, then we can start taking the film. We can get it out there, put it into film festivals and see how well it will do. So as far as your your five year plan, let's say that this year you complete your film, next year you start taking it to uh, to film festivals and and seeking distribution. So within your five years, let's say that this this film takes off, it does really good, it goes to Netflix. Then what? Like, well, because your I want, your job's not your job's not done, correct? Yeah. Well, hopefully, you know, hopefully it eventually will be done. But there will always be somebody who's a con man. There will always be somebody looking to take advantage of people, especially in this industry. So, it, you know, hopefully we could be the sheepdog, you know, and if shit like that pops off, I want people to at least be concerned that we will be there because make no mistake, we will be there. If somebody's out there doing some shady shit, I'll find out. And when I find out, I'm going to put you on blast and the community can do with that what they will. But right now, McDojo Life um, hopefully will be the main cog. And then we're looking to diversify. I mean, I've already started to do it. We just started McDojo show. Um, so I hired two guys to come on, Wallow and Christopher. I'm super excited to have them on as the guys who run McDojo show. Um, they'll be taking over our podcast. And so it'll be a live streamed podcast in which people can interact, call in, and we'll have guests on the show. And then it'll also be a podcast. So you can listen to it on audio only or you can interact live. Um, that'll also go up on our YouTube. So that's one cog in the McDojo, McDojo machine. Uh, we're going. I already started doing uh, video game streaming. So eventually, I'll have somebody who's in charge of nothing but the video game streaming. Uh, I just Twitch. Yeah, Twitch. So 
Uh, we're looking to try to get uh, martial artists who are already on video game streaming and kind of do a show like that to where we're like talking and shooting the shit with them while we're playing video games. Uh, and so that'll be on Twitch and our YouTube. Um, the next thing we're working on is uh, doing something called Kung Fu Companion, which is where we watch these old school public domain Kung Fu movies and we just basically make fun of them as we watch them. Um, did, did you see that Fight Pass put a bunch of uh, a bunch of the old uh, Kung Fu movies up? I haven't, but that's awesome. There's t- so many public domain movies out there, it's ridiculous. Like, especially for Kung Fu. So, like, they're just like, the, you can just reach out and grab a movie, and it's probably public domain. You can do with it what you want. Um, but another thing we're working on is uh, apparel. So, we already have had apparel for a while now, but I'm looking to make it a little bit more serious. So, I've reached out. Um, there's a guy who runs a page called Retro Grappling, and he makes all kinds of stuff. We're looking to try to partner with him to have him and his wife in charge of all of our apparel. Um, so that'll be cool. So we'll have somebody who's dedicated to making that a little bit bigger, getting it in the stores and stuff like that. And then uh, if the documentary goes well, then we might get lucky and get a show. And if we're able to get a show, then that means we'll be financially backed to travel the world and call out frauds for a show. <clears throat> I uh, I actually I need to I need to order a uh, a McDojo Life shirt, but I was just I was just thinking like racking my brain. I actually have a retro shirt and it's super fucking comfy. So um, I also before we go too much further, I hate to fucking cut you off to do this, but uh, you've been kicked in the uh, in the groin before, right? Several times. Yes. Okay. <laughs> DiamondMMA.com. Enter code Thomas right now for 10% off of your entire order to protect your boys. I hate doing that to you, Rob. I hate No, dude. Like, for real, I was uh, – I that company sponsored me, not just affiliated uh, – affiliate sponsored, but actually sponsored me for a while. And what I would do is uh, – it is truly is – even though they're not sponsors anymore, it really is the best cup ever. So I did this thing with that company, and it's on my YouTube somewhere, I do believe, to where I wore that cup at the U.S. Open Karate Tournament. And, you know, it's one of the bigger karate tournaments in the United States. And mm-hmm. so a lot of top-level karate competitors, we compete there, like Raymond Daniels, Stephen Thompson, Taylor Lautner, um, all those guys competed there. And so I I went around the tournament wearing the Diamond Cup, and I found people who had the first-place trophies, and mm. I asked them to kick me in the groin as hard as they could. And I filmed the entire thing. So I, I actually had the idea earlier of, like, putting it on and, like, walking out onto the porch and letting my girl take a, a good kick, uh, you know, just letting her just rear into it, just kick the shit out of me. And then I was like, you know what? I'll hold off on that. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> It works, though. I got to say, man, like, yep. those guys will always have nothing but support for me because, one, they really did support me when I was in the infant stages of all this. Mm-hmm. And uh, they had faith in me that I would make something bigger and better. And then two on top of that, their product is that good. It really is. Yeah, I uh, I I made it like my goal to like only um, like to only advertise like companies that I truly enjoy. Because if if you were to actually listen back to like my first podcast, uh, I had a code for Fleshlight that uh, you could use. <laughs> That's and awesome. Then, and then I was like, you know what? Like, I can't even fucking do this. Like I couldn't I couldn't say it with a straight face. Like I couldn't. Um, I, and like I don't like I've never owned one, so I don't personally feel like like I can sell that product. But I do have you know the diamond in my makeup, so I can I can sell the shit out of that. Um, I didn't want to walk onto the the porch in just my cup earlier, like you know with my neighbors <laughs> and shit, 
And my neighbors will be like, why is that Why is that woman kicking him in the balls? You know, just a bad look for my entire neighborhood. So I was like, yeah, hold on. <laughs> you don't want to be that neighbor, you know? So when I was moving all the uh, all the, the weights and shit earlier, I was, like, stopping on the porch, and I was, like, curling. And I was like, fuck, dude, I am that guy right now. So I had to... I had to quickly stop what I was doing and, and come in. My neighbors had a fucking party last night, man. I hate to be that guy, but uh, corona parties are not fucking cool at 12 o'clock at night when you have a, <laughs> a, four, a four-month-old daughter. And yeah, I swear, if, if they wake up my child, I'm going to go kick the shit out of them. Like. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, dude. Like Anytime I ever have a party at my house, I always try to be super respectful of the neighbors. You know, so like once the once the sun's going down, I encourage people to get the fuck inside or shut up. And that's like me in my house with people hanging out in my house. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm like, hey guys, let's go and come on inside. We got neighbors. Let's be cool with them. Like yeah, when I was always older, been the same way. Dick. But you know, you get older, you be more respectful. I think. And I'm only 25, and I'm already like, dude, it's past 8:30. If I can hear your music, I'm kicking your ass. <laughs> <laughs> shut the fuck up. Yeah, dude. Well, I'm like. You know, I turned 35 next week, dude. No shit, man. Congrats. Yeah, I made it. I made it past uh, Coolio's 23, you know. I don't know if you ever listened to Gangster's Paradise, but when I, I was... Oh. <laughs> that was my walkout song. <laughs> 23, will I ever see 24? I'm like, damn, I'm seeing 35. I made it. Yeah, that was my that was my walkout song for like my... I think it's like my second MMA fight, or maybe it's like my third... And uh, I wasn't yet 23, and I was like, fuck, man, I can't wait till I'm 23, and then I can do this. And then, literally, like, <laughs> right, as soon as I turned 23, I think I made, like, some DMX shit, my, my walkout song. Completely forgot about it. Oh, yeah, when I uh, when I walked out, I always walked out to If You Want Blood by ACDC. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, it was just my ass got me pumped up. Did you ever walk out, like, like with headphones on, or, or were you walking out listening to your song? No, I always walked out listening to the song. Like, um, I don't know, man. Like, when I when I used to fight like full contact and stuff like that, most of my fights were at smoker fights in a bar. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, I was I started full contact when I was 15 years old. Um, and then I fought. I think I, I was six and zero as an amateur boxer, and those were all in smoker fights. And I was four and zero kickboxer at the same smoker fights. And then when I tried to do full contact on, like, a national, international circuit, I got the fuck beat out of me. And then I, like, changed my mind on the direction in which I wanted to take all this. You know, I did really <laughs> well. I did really well point fighting on an international level. I did um, I did really well boxing. I did, I, did, I did decent kickboxing. But then when I fought guys who were, like, about that life, who all they did was kickbox on an international level. And we're talking, like, hundreds of fights in a year. Like, I just could not I, – I just was not prepared for that level. Um, and then I just kind of realized where I was, you know. It just wasn't for me. What it, you know, But there's plenty of other things that you can do in this industry other than just be a fighter. And so I just chose another path. That's kind of I'm, – I'm kind of in the same in the same boat as you because um, I, I told everybody, like, as soon as, as soon as my wife found out she was pregnant, I told everybody, I was like, yeah, I want to do maybe one or two fights while she's pregnant and then – um like you know before the baby gets here and i was like i want to take like a good year off after the baby's born and then of course i had my accident and i had my face put back together what happened i'm kind of curious if you don't mind oh no no, no. it's uh I, I so i work for the state and uh there was some 
roadside maintenance going on and um some maintenance went wrong and i ended up getting hit in the face by some equipment and oh, it shattered shit. uh yeah it it shattered two teeth chipped two teeth split my tongue in three different ways god uh, damn it detached my nostril from my lip detached my uh lip cleaning in half in the middle um i had a scar under my eye i got i had stitches under my eye i had stitches on the bridge of my nose i uh i was i was walking around like frankenstein for a couple of days man and they told me um the impact of like because i got hit essentially like bolts first on this on this uh piece of equipment like bolts first hit me in the face and they said that if it would have went like a couple inches to the right i would have lost my vision and then a couple inches to the left i guess and i would have uh it would like crack my skull so I got I got off super lucky, man. Of course, you know, like when you're missing a tooth, like I don't know if you've ever uh, <laughs> lost a tooth, but when you're missing a tooth, especially living where I live, kind of makes you feel like a, a bit of a hillbilly, you know. So <laughs> um, I was super self-conscious, dude. I wouldn't even fucking I didn't talk for a good two months, man, just because I was so ashamed. And, and you know, after that, like um, I had a little bit of like mental. Uh, yeah, mental shit that I was going through. Not that I was like super vain before, but I just didn't, I didn't feel, because uh, you, you know, I got hurt. Uh, I got hurt in October and my daughter was born in November. Yeah. So as soon as my daughter was born, everybody's wanting to take fucking photos of my wife, my <laughs> daughter, myself. I'm, I'm literally like, I can't smile. Like my, my entire face is stitched back together. Like I can't fucking smile. And then my teeth are fucked up. So I can't, you know yeah um so after when that happened though um i was talking to to my coach and and we were talking about mma and we were talking talking about curriculums and shit so i started building this mma system curriculum similar to the bang muay thai um curriculum and and similar to if you were to look at like a gracie jiu-jitsu or like a 10th planet jiu-jitsu uh curriculum and that's that's what I'm doing is I'm building an entire curriculum and I actually I loved competing. Of course now you know I have I have uh, implants you know teeth implanted yeah. teeth. So I'm terrified that I will fuck them up. <laughs> and oh uh, yeah. And you know I've already taken some pretty heavy shots and and I recently talked to Ian McCall about CTE and and all these these new studies are coming up about CTE and. And I'm not sure if you ever watched me fight or if you ever watched me spar, but I was I was like Justin Gaethje before uh, <laughs> before yeah. the world knew Justin Gaethje. Yeah. And uh, I just, dude, I got super paranoid of that, and, and of course you know this recent accident. So I'm moving forward to to like just the teaching and the coaching aspect, and I love yeah. it ten times more than I ever loved competing. Like it's just it's more fulfilling for me, you know. Yeah, and it's, I can admit, it's man, been, I love coaching. It's I like do my shoot, favorite man. thing to do in this whole industry. I know, man. I like there's something there's something about getting your hand raised, but then there's something like there's something about like helping someone else raise theirs. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, it's like the passing of the torch, man. Eventually, you know, like the old school. I I think Kung Fu Panda, which is ridiculous, but it's the truth, nailed it in terms of the way that they kind of explain the passing of the torch. And like, if you've ever watched Kung Fu Panda, you know you have like Chifu, and then you have like the turtle, right? Master Ugwe, and then like Master Ugwe eventually passes on, and the movie he just kind of disappears, but we know what that signifies is he dies, 
and then you know the the torch is passed on to the ne- next generation of masters and i think that we don't realize who's going to be the next generation of master until the last generation dies you know you're like oh shit i'm the fucking guy <laughs> you know you're like <laughs> I'm the guy that made it. Like I'm, I have to pass this knowledge down. That's a heavy fucking weight, dude. I don't, you know? And then, you know, after a while, you just kind of like accept that it's a very fulfilling job. It's the Mm -hmm. most fulfilling thing you'll ever do in your life is to teach someone else a skill, whatever it is, right? Fuck it. If you're a barber and you teach somebody else how to do the shit or you have an apprentice, you know, carpenter, whatever it is, you know, it's, it's fulfilling. It yeah. feels good to pass on something that was passed on to you. It's almost like a little piece of immortality that we all have. And, oh, you know, and, and of course, nothing feels better than helping other people. It's cliche, but it's true. You know, helping somebody else achieve whatever their goals are, or their dreams are just feels good. You know, you see one of your guys, you know, like you said, get their hand raised and you're like, yeah, you know, fuck. I get more nervous about watching guys I coach fight than I ever did actually fighting. Yep. <laughs> Yep. I, uh, I'm the same way, man. Like I, I truly like in, in my mind, like I never thought that I would, I would be here. You know what I mean? Like I honestly, at like a young age, I decided like, like, this is what I want. I'm not going to stop until I'm a UFC world champion. And then you tell yourself that every single day for years. And then one day you wake up and you know, in my case, like my fucking face was hanging off. And I was like, you know what? Maybe this dream isn't a reality anymore. So then that kind of sucks getting over that. And then I kind of got over that. And I was like, you know what? Maybe because I love martial arts so much, like maybe fighting and being a champion, like that's not even my fucking my goal. Like my goal is to just teach and help people. And and dude, I truly love it. And and I could be more happy. And I can't wait until my daughter's old enough. Oh, yeah, of course, because then you get to, like, you know, teach your kid and, you know, yeah. pass that on. It's a beautiful thing. I, um, you know, you were talking about this teeth thing. So, like, I was born with a cleft palate, and so I have scars on my face. I had a lot of surgeries as a kid, and uh, because of the cleft palate, like, my teeth were fucked up. And, uh, you know, they were really messed up. There was a big gap. Um, I wasn't missing a tooth. The tooth was actually growing sideways into my gum. So like it just didn't it didn't come out the way it was supposed to. So it looked like a, there was a gap there, like like I was missing one. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, luckily, uh, a couple of years ago, I was able to get my teeth uh, taken care of. And uh, I didn't realize that over the years, I mean, we're talking since I was a kid that I never smiled with my teeth ever because I just got used to hiding them. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I when I finally got my teeth done. And I started to to get used to not hiding them. My face hurt, like literally hurt <laughs> for the first month because I was not used. I was never using those muscles on purpose. Mm-hmm. And so now, like one side of my uh, mouth raises just a little higher than the other when I smile because somehow I was able to keep that side down for years and only smile on one side of my mouth in which that was the nicest side of my teeth. And so now it's like relearning how to smile, you know, smiling for the first time, you know, enjoying to just talk with confidence. Like, I don't think most people really realize how important, you know, like your teeth really are for like your self-confidence. That's a it's a tough one. Mm-hmm. It, it really is. And like I said, like it took me losing two teeth before I realized like how um, 
I like like how self-conscious I actually was. If you look at my, if you go and look at my Instagram, I didn't post a picture of my fucking teeth until January. Like, like from October to January. Like we're talking Thanksgiving, Christmas, like the birth of my daughter. Like I literally did not take a fucking a smiling photo. And uh, now, dude, I'm with you. Like my face kind of hurts sometimes because I can't quit showing these motherfuckers off. Yeah, of I course. Love them. These things ain't cheap. <laughs> yeah, no, you know, you know, you know when Cardi B said she uh, she got a bag and fixed her teeth. Fuck, dude, these are expensive shit. <laughs> yeah, man, they ain't cheap, man. Like you, uh, um, you know, like I I've been enjoying this. Uh, I went to uh, you know, I I went and trained with you guys uh when I was getting ready to do like an event. Mm-hmm. And uh, you have a fantastic coach. Art is just a really, really, really good coach, dude. Like yeah. I. I that he's, guy, a, he's a nice guy. I really, I really enjoy the vibe he's got over there. It's pretty chill. You know, during during my injury, he would text or call me every single day. And even when I couldn't talk to him, like I would give the phone to my wife, and like my wife would talk to him for me. And like he checked on me every single fucking day. I have nothing but love for that guy. Yeah, that is a, like that's that's my family right there. Yeah, it's, he's fantastic at jujitsu as well. The dude's got a gift. For real. For real. I didn't mean to cut you off, but I just I cannot praise him enough. Like, like I'm talking, I was down and out. I wouldn't talk to anybody. I wouldn't text anybody. I wouldn't call anybody. And he he checked on me every single day, man. Well, that's what you want in a coach, man. Like, you know, I I I talk about it a lot, as much as I can with people, is that you know your coach is not your fucking therapist, right? But mm-hmm. I really think that it's nice to have a coach who gives a shit, and it shows when they just do little gestures like calling you (laughs) hey man everything good oh okay cool instead of like hey man uh you owe us money (laughs) you know like come on that's not a coach yeah yeah he he definitely like and he he told me because i came to him um when i first moved back to florida and i told him i was like hey man i want to be a coach like i want to start learning how to coach people because even when i first moved back to florida like like i still wanted to be a professional fighter i wanted to i wanted to be a ufc champion like i was still my goal but I was, I was like, hey, I'd, I'd like to coach and I'd like to be able to, to teach, you know. Um, and he, he was like teaching me how to be a, a teacher and teaching me how to break stuff down because I didn't realize it, but I would talk too fast and, and I wouldn't explain stuff thoroughly and or why, you know. And, uh, and now, like, if you were to read my notes, man, like, I go into fucking detail now. And, and like I said, like, I have nothing but love and respect for him because he, he taught me a lot, man. And, and uh. There, there are a lot of people like him in the martial arts community, and then there's a lot like the people that you're talking about, man. And that's like I feel bad for the people who don't get people like Art as a coach, you know. And they yeah, get, he actually they get, has like he was one. He did a, a pretty cool, interesting thing back in the day, and I'll kind of talk about it a little bit. I won't go into too many details just because you know I respect Art. He did this thing where he um he uh, went to a gym one time because he was looking genuinely for a place to train. And so he's like, oh, shit, well, this gym's up here. I'll just go train over there. And when he went to go train, it turned out that the instructor was a complete fraud. And so he went and he was like, dude, what the what the hell is going on here? <laughs> you know? And so he went back and he actually did. He, he did record like going back and filming the fraud or whatever. And he wound up rolling with some students and stuff. And apparently, I guess the uh, the the instructor wound up trying to like, I guess you could say sick an instructor or another guy on him. 
like hopefully like it would mess up art a little bit and of course art is phenomenal at what he does so he like wind up like you know yoking the dude up in jujitsu they're not striking or anything and then of course he constantly was trying to get the instructor to roll and like they had brainwashed the the students so much that the students thought that the instructor shouldn't roll you know oh, he's the master he doesn't roll he's too good it's like no he's he's a fucking con man <laughs> you know and like uh I think I, you know, that's another big respect I have for him is the fact that he went in there, you know, and he was willing to call out bullshit when he saw bullshit, you know. That's so like, and that's like that's scary as shit too, though, because like, like what happens when somebody's ego gets fucking hurt? Um, and I, I meant to ask you this earlier, but but you you said you received death threats. What happens when these people's egos get hurt so fucking bad that they? um like they choose to resort to physical violence and, and granted a lot of these guys are fucking frauds but they still have guns and shit like has that happened to you like like have you dealt with somebody like pulling a weapon on you or well as of i've only had i've only had a few run-ins like one um you know just off the top of my head i was at the martial arts super show um which i i really do enjoy there's a lot of good information that goes through there especially in terms of how to run a business and stuff like that uh, but while I was at the Super Show, I guess somebody had recognized me. I guess we had gotten to uh, an online dispute where we had chit-chatted and discussed. And the guy, like, bumped into me, and we wind up having, like, a conversation. And he, uh, he at first was a little bit, like, standoffish. Uh, but we had, like, an amicable conversation in which we were able to, to squash it. So that was, like, one thing. I was like, that's cool. I mean, it could have easily gone another way, but I'm just not that kind of dude. You know, I, I like – I think when you fight all the time, like in the studio or against other people, or you've been there and done that, you just don't want to do it when you're off the clock. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like you know, I don't want to work on cars if I'm a mechanic when I'm done. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like I don't want to yeah. put tile up when I'm I, I make t- put tile down every day. You know, like I'm just done. And so I think that's how most martial artists are, which is why they're so laid back. Um, you know, I was at a uh, at a tournament in London, and this was probably the worst case, which is why I keep things a little bit more closer to the chest now. But while I was out there, I got hired to teach a martial arts seminar in London, which was fucking awesome. <laughs> I'm just that's telling that's you, incredible. that's a really cool thing to think that people in another continent give a damn that you are alive. <laughs> you know, that was very cool. And so I got hired. I wind up getting on the plane and I go teach. Well, while I was over there, I was like, dude, I'm not just going to fly on this plane for hours and hours and hours. And not stay there for more than a day. So I wind up staying there for two weeks just so I can enjoy the atmosphere and kind of soak up the the opportunity. While I was there after the seminar that weekend, I think I taught the seminar on like a Saturday. The next weekend was a martial arts tournament in which the school that I was uh, teaching a seminar at, all of their students were going to be participating. And it was a Taekwondo tournament. When I get there, I'm sitting in the bleachers and just chilling. You know how tournaments are. Hurry up and wait. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'm sitting in the bleachers in some this some gymnasium at like a what seemed to be a really nice YMCA or something like that. And I get a random message on my phone from somebody who had obviously just made a profile. The only person they were following was me. They had no posts. They had no one else following them and they had no profile picture. And the message just simply said what I was wearing. Wow. And I was like, that's super creepy. And I've had this happen quite a bit over the years, which is fine. Um, it's always weird where people usually will, like, take a video of me and post it in their stories, and then, but they won't come and talk to me. 
and like I'm pretty approachable. Like, you know, just like come talk to me. I will make the time no matter what I'm doing. I will be in the middle of a business meeting and I will invite you to sit down and hang out while we talk until I'm done. Like I, I, I'm about as approachable as you could be. Right. And so that was weird. So I wrote him back. I was like, hey, man, why don't you come over and say hello? And then after that, he starts to describe a pedophile that I had busted in the UK, which I kind of started to get that he wasn't happy that I was there. And mm-hmm. so there was this guy in the United States who was a pedophile and he fled the country and he wind up going to the UK under an alias and started a martial arts studio. I found out about it and I called him out. And of course, the people on my Facebook at the time, because this was before Instagram, the people on my Facebook had like reached out and like went and took his studio from like a five-star review school to like a one-star review school and started talking in detail about the crime that he had committed in the United States. So, of course, the next month after that had happened, his studio winds up closing down. Now, fast forward to here, me in London, and this guy is describing that to me through an Instagram direct message. And so I get the idea that he's not happy with me. And so I'm like, dude, what's the problem? Turns out like this dude, I guess, from what I can gather, was upset because that was his instructor. And I had ruined that guy's that guy's name. When you think about it, I didn't ruin shit. You, yeah, that's that guy missing. ruined his own name because he was touching kids. And so I don't care where you are. That's just not cool, you know. No, and know. so that guy, which was interesting because we were in London, but he did threaten to shoot me when I left the, the student, what left the uh, tournament. And so we're in London, but, you know, I'm sitting there thinking I was like, I mean, is there a possibility this dude has a gun? Like, is he, is the threat real? Is it not real? I was like, this dude's being real serious. I can't find out who he is. So I was like, I was I didn't want to take chances with it. And so I wind up meeting the police because they had like off duty police officers that were there to help out with the tournament. Mm-hmm. And so. I went down, talked to the police, and they were like, yeah, well, there's nothing we can really do about it because, in all honesty, there's no way of us knowing who the hell this guy is. He was like, it's probably just like a, a, a prank or something, but if you'd like, why don't you just stick around, and then whenever this is over, we'll walk you out to your car. And so I was like, okay, that's cool. And so I, I waited. They got rid of the mats and stuff, and nothing ever came from it. But at that point on, I was like, there's no way I would have ever known who this guy was. There's no way I would have been able to stop him. Because I didn't know who what he looked like. He could have just walked up at any moment and if he was crazy enough, shot me. And so I was like, you know what? I'm going to start being a little bit more diligent about how I speak, um, what information I give out about myself and stuff like that. Um, and then I just uh, started keeping things much tighter to the chest. So that was like the worst that I've ever really had. Fucking crazy, man. That's like seriously like that's. God, dude, I got chills, actually, when you said uh, <laughs> when you said he was describing what you were wearing. I was like, holy shit, that sounds like the worst fucking, like, the worst plot twist in a movie ever. It's you weird, I mean? dude. It's so weird. And, like, you know, I get that I'm going to make a lot of people angry with what I do, right? Um, not everybody's going to like you anyway. I mean, I could literally cure cancer, and there'd be somebody out there being like, well, that bitch didn't cure it fast enough. You know, <laughs> like. Like, there's always going to be somebody out there who just doesn't like you, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, we all have differing opinions. I go live once, uh, actually multiple times a week now on Instagram, and I let anybody, absolutely anybody that wants to come on the show, come on the show. I noticed that. Have, I noticed that. <laughs> and if they want to say something about me, they can. If they want to talk to me, they can. If they want to 
put me down, they can. It's an open forum, you know, and I do that for a reason because I believe in open discourse. I think that not all of us are going to agree, and maybe you're going to have a point of view that I haven't thought about, and maybe I'll learn from that. And so if people have a problem with me, they can they can talk to me face to face almost, you know, and uh, it just astonishes me how many people are using the Internet from what I can tell as an outlet to vent their own personal bullshit rather than like actually having something to say or contribute to society. It's almost like the world is kicking them in the balls. And so they have to take it out on somebody. And so what better person to take it out on than somebody who's got a following? You know, it's the strangest thing to me. Mm-hmm. That's like the people like like it's like Darren Till is like the best example in the world. But uh, Darren Till or John Jones could literally cure fucking cancer, and somebody would comment <laughs> and be like, "You fucking pussy!" Like, you know what I mean? Like, bitch, I kicked that cancer's ass faster than you could. Yeah, like, why didn't you do it sooner, bitch? Like, what? <laughs> yeah, uh, I seen that you you went live this morning. I was seeing that you were adding everybody in. I was gonna join, and then um, of course, you know, this morning. Every morning now is dedicated to Mickey Mouse Clubhouse. Oh, uh, man. And then, the highlight. Man, and then Paw Patrol. I've seen Frozen 2 about 18 fucking times. Uh, <laughs> I would love to just let it go, you know? <laughs> um, but I was I was watching you like interact with fans, though. And uh, that's what's so cool about, about all this is, like, like you're just out of, out of reach, but you're still... Um, like you're still close enough to the fans that you do interact. And I, I really do appreciate that. And I really appreciate you coming on tonight, man. Um, with that being said, really quick, before we, before we jump around too, too much, man, John Jones, I, <laughs> I had, I had to cut it off this morning. Cause you know, like I said, like we were watching uh, Mickey Mouse clubhouse and, and apparently my phone was too loud. So, um, yeah. so how, what do you, what do you think of this John Jones situation? I mean, you know, people are going to be people, right? I think that our problem as a society is we put people on pedestals before they earn it. And, um, you know, I posted this thing that for some reason pissed a lot of people off. I don't know why. Um, But I talked about the word champion. And um, when you look at the definition of the word champion, champion has two definitions. And they're almost contradictory, which is kind of fascinating to me. One is you being the best at a particular sport. So you're the champion of this activity, right? And mm-hmm. so even the title holder is called the champion. So like the champ the heavyweight champion of the world, right? But that's very selfish. It just means you alone have beaten all these other people at this particular skill. The other word, the other definition of champion is like championing something, like a cause or for a people. So basically the second definition is all about other people other than yourself and you helping them. So this definition of the word champion has two contradicting uh, definitions. One, you are completely 100% selfish, and you alone have done this activity or this thing to make you great. The other is you put yourself aside, and you only are helping out other people or this cause, something bigger than yourself. And so when I think about what I would call someone and how I would call someone a champion— I only call someone a champion if in my my eyes they meet both definitions at the same time. Mm-hmm. And so Understandable. I am not a champion. I'm not because by my definition, I do not meet both of those criteria. I only meet one criteria. I can say I am championing a cause, but I'm not a champion because I haven't met both definitions. 
And of course, I'm not asking other people to feel the same way. Other people can feel however they want to feel. I'm just saying me personally, if you would like me to call you a champion, you need to meet both definitions. Not only be that person who was able to beat all these other people at the skill, but at the same time, give a shit about somebody other than just yourself. And so when I look at John Jones, John Jones reminds me a lot of Mike Tyson back in the day. Mm-hmm. The only difference is Mike Tyson comes from all of the reasons that you would expect somebody to act the way Mike Tyson did. He had every reason in the world to be Mike Tyson at that time. His mentor built him up from being a street thug to being the youngest heavyweight champion in the history of fucking boxing. He winds up doing that and then immediately passes away, <laughs> right? As soon as he gets the title, and then he has this like snake in the grass, Don King, whispering in his ear, making him like encouraging bad behavior, and meanwhile ripping him off, right? All these people who were yes men in his life, all these people stealing from him. He had the perfect storm to be that person who he was. And I don't think anybody truly blames him for being who he was because of who he turned out to be. Now, in my mind, back then, Mike Tyson was a belt holder. He was just a guy that beat up everybody else. Now, in my mind, Mike Tyson is a real champion. He was able to be the youngest heavyweight belt holder of all time, and now he gives a shit about more than just himself. He cares about other people. He's putting time and effort into his children. He's making an effort to teach people all the mistakes that he made and how they don't need to go down the same path. That is a fucking champion, you know? And so now when I look at John Jones, right now he's in the belt holder stage of his life. He is holding a belt. Congratulations. You beat people up for money. Good job for you. Right. But to me, that's just a thug. He will be a champion in my eyes when he gives a fuck about more than just himself. And we have yet to see that at John Jones. Right. And but the only difference between John Jones and Mike Tyson is John Jones has every opportunity to be the champion we want him to be. He's just choosing not to be. And that's his choice. He can do that. He can do whatever he wants. He doesn't have to live up to anybody's expectations, especially mine, because who gives a shit what my opinion is, right? He could be go down as the greatest fighter of all time. But is that all you want to go down as, you know, in your career? Do you just want to go down as the greatest guy to do that activity? Or do you want to go down as more than that? Somebody to be remembered and revered and to look up to? Well, fuck, to me, that's a real champion. Do you uh, do you think he's the greatest fighter of all time? I think he makes my top 10. But then again, I'm talking about ever. Yeah. You know, me, my number one fighter of all time isn't even on anybody's radar. Uh, I'm actually curious now who you got. A Miyamoto Musashi. Oh, hell yeah, dude. To do me, you, number one greatest mass murderer hobo of all time. Do you have the, uh, do you have a tattoo? No, I have no tattoos yet. Really? You know, it's, that is a goal of mine is to get a tattoo soon. I just, you know, up to this point in my life, I just have been always poor. <laughs> so, you know, I was like, I just can't afford it. It's not that I don't want one. It's that why would I waste that money? Because I need to buy food. Um, but like now I'm kind of in a, a little bit more comfortable as time goes on. So I've been thinking about getting my logo. Um, oh, hell I, yeah. You know, I, I think I, at this point in time, you know, I've always – I've always represented other people in the martial arts, you know, always represented their dream and their studio. This has been the only thing that I've ever made truly to represent myself um, and to represent something that's bigger than me at the same time, which is the uh, the martial arts community. 
And I put a lot, a lot. We're talking hours upon hours of time and effort into that simple logo that you see. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look, it's a Tory. And a Tory is like a, a, basically a gateway to like a holy or a sacred place. And so you'll see these, right, um, in Japan and things like that. Um, you'll see these things around, and it basically means that this is like important. What threshold you're about to cross through that Tory is an important place or a sacred land. And so to me, that represents the martial arts community. This is a sacred thing to me. You know, this is a thing that is supposed to be revered. This is a thing that's supposed to be protected and honored and cherished and passed down from generation to generation, right? And then I thought, well, you know, what I'm doing basically is talking about all the issues and the things wrong with it. And so I added the scars to the Tory. So if you look right under the left side of the left pole of the Tory on the logo, there are two lines, distinct lines underneath that D. And uh, those actually represent the scars in the martial arts community and the things that are flawed with it. But they also represent the scars on my face. Really? So when I was actually because I because, you know, me and you were talking on Skype and, and so I'm staring at this logo. I honestly thought that it was uh, stripes as in like a belt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <clears> and I was looking I was looking and I was like, is that what that is? That That's actually I'm I'm glad you described that to me because now now I'm like oh, okay that makes that makes perfect sense like, it's yeah, a cool man, logo. I have, I have two I, scars that run right down the middle of my face and so like when people look at me when I try to grow like a beard they're like what what's wrong with your face <laughs> right <laughs> and so like I'm like bitch I can't grow hair there <laughs> I got this reverse Hitler son There's nothing I can do about it and so like but I'm proud of that like no one looks like me and so I take that and I just run with it you know. I uh the reason I was asking you about the all-time the all-time greatest fighter thing and, and um and before we get too much further I know a bunch of awesome tattoo artists too so whenever we hang up I'll uh, I'll link you to some of them hell yeah um because you, you know as you as you know I'm absolutely fucking covered and uh, I would gladly get your McDojo Life brand tattooed on me as well oh man that's so. that's a huge honor man you know like. Um, one thing that's really that stands out to me is like when you look at people who are remembered or you look at people who are influential in their life, I think what what stands out about those people is they have actual art that is done uh, mm-hmm. because of them, uh, whether it be a song that was made or a poem that was written or a painting or a tattoo. Like that's how you can kind of know that those people have made an impact is they they're immortalized through art. And, uh, you know, that it always means the most to me. It's a very it means a lot to me when I see art made because of the, the brand. Um, it's it's a it's a huge thing to me. It, it means a lot. That's a that's partly why I asked you if you had any tattoos, because Musashi is is probably one of the coolest tattoos that most people uh, can have, you know, because that's like a huge um, a Japanese style tattoo. And, and when you see those tattoos, man, like I wish. I wish now that I would have uh, not started getting tattooed at, like, an early age so I could, like, save some space for, like, cool shit. <laughs> yeah. But Do you know um, um, Half Sumo Collective? Yes, yes. And I see that you were actually uh, – you're collabing with him, right? Yeah, he did a um, – well, one, he's going to do our um, – it's like a mini poster and a uh, thank you card for people mm-hmm. who have donated to the to the cause. It's, like, one of the tiers – but he he also did a shirt for us for like the uh, the revival technique of the no touch knockout thing. It's like one of my favorite shirts that we have. But 
I always wanted, I was going to have him, you know, just because like, again, like I, I'm all about like art means something. And uh, it, mm-hmm. I, I'm definitely going to have him be the guy who, whatever I get, um, draw up my first one, just because I love his art so much. And he has very much like that old school Sailor Jerry type style. It's very good. It's, it's like the old school Sailor Jerry meets uh, Japanese traditional. It makes it so fucking cool. Oh, the dude's so talented. I mean, I, I want nothing but the best for that guy. And what's cool is he lives in New York. I got to like, go meet up with him the next time I'm up there. That's what I was about to ask. Is he is he connected with uh with Bangarang? Or they um, he's separate? done work with them, but he's done work for almost every company I can think of. Like his style is so unique and it's so eye catching. It mm-hmm. just it just winds up. He just makes some beautiful stuff. Like you got to respect the dude. He's so talented. Um, we got we got kind of off the rails there for a second. Um, I brought up the John Jones thing. Um, I feel like people kind of because because to me he is the number one pound for pound uh, mixed martial artist. I think people kind of um, like they almost give him a fucking pass because of that. <laughs> Which, like I said earlier uh, on your live, I actually commented it. John might be my favorite fighter of all time. Definitely the fucking, probably the worst person on the fucking roster. Easily the most talented uh, person in the world, you know? It's fucking, it's it's shitty that he's squandering these fucking gifts. You know what I mean? With fucking, I don't want to say hookers and cocaine, but that's kind of like what it's seeming like. You know, it's it's such a hard thing because I again we, we I kind of touched on it for a second, and then for some reason I did go off the rails. I'm sorry about that. But um, you know, he I think we put people on pedestals without them earning it. It's almost like we put them there, even if they don't want to be there. You know, and so whenever we look at John Jones, we look at somebody who's so talented and so gifted, and we don't want to see him squander his talent, and we don't want to see him flush his life away. We don't want to see him fuck it up with, like you know, like you say, cocaine and hookers and PEDs or whatever else he decides to hit and runs or Viagra or whatever he's in trouble for this week. We don't want to see that, you know. But then again, this isn't a fairy tale. You know, we what we really want is we want to see uh, DC's personality um, in John Jones' body and, and his talent. But we're not oh. going to see that because that's not going to ever exist. You know, I, I've always been under the impression that some of the greatest people on the planet to ever exist and make an impact with some of the big. Like, if you look at George Washington, he owned slaves, <laughs> you know, we're going to pretend George Washington owned slaves, you know, <laughs> that means if he owned slaves, he at least starting at a deficit as being a good human being, <laughs> you know, um, yeah. then you look at somebody like Michael Jackson, who almost completely 100 percent changed the landscape of how pop music is done today. He molested kids, you know, look at um, just to continue with the music thing. Look at Ray, Ray Charles. Ray Charles basically set a path for people to own their own music and have their own rights to their music. Back in the day, that was unheard of, you know, and like he was a womanizer and was addicted to heroin. Right. All of these all of these great people are are, are capable of really shitty things that doesn't make them shitty people. It just makes them people. You know, good people do bad shit. Bad people do good shit. You know, most of us are in the middle. We try real hard every day to do some of the better things, and sometimes we fuck up. And then some people try real hard to do good things, but they always fuck up. You know, it's it just is what it is. I don't think there's a one person on this planet that wakes up and goes, how do I make this the worst day of my life? How do I fuck up again? 
You know, most people don't do that. They just do. They just fuck up. They make mistakes, you know, and I think that John Jones is in a very unique position in which he has so many eyeballs on him all the time that any little mistake is going to be a big mistake. But it's called equity, like in your home. So in, in relationships, in the eyes of the public, you have to put in equity. You have to put in something so you can get something back in return. And so for him, what he should be doing, and I'm not, you know, I'm not going to tell the man how to live his life. I'm just saying in the public eye, what is the equity in which he's standing on? Um, I, I, I'll give you an example, right? So there are people who build pyramids with their life, and there are people who build platforms. Have I ever talked to you about this before? No, but I, I have a feeling I understand where you're going. So somebody who builds a pyramid typically builds it with a strong base, right? And then same people, same way with the way people build platforms. They both start off the same way with a strong base. But as you build a platform up, it remains wide and it remains strong. As you build a pyramid, it slowly but surely tapers off to a point, and that's very hard to stand on. And so people who build pyramids typically build pyramids with only one true skill to offer the world, one thing that they're offering people. And over time, like with athletes, that skill will be diminished. Not right now, not immediately, but over time, eventually, that skill will be the only thing you're standing on. And then when you fall off of that, there's a long way to go down. On a platform, on the other hand, you're not just building off of one skill. That might be your base, but you take that and you build something else. You go, okay, well, I'm skilled at this, but I also am giving a charity. I'm skilled at this, but I'm also working on acting. I'm skilled at this. I'm also working on being a commentator. I'm skilled at this, but let me diversify, and I'm also going to try to provide the world with a product. Why not make my own alcohol? Stuff like that, right? And so you're building a platform. So when people are only standing on pyramids and that pyramid is nothing based, nothing but built on skill, you're going to fall off when that one thing goes away because that's the only thing you're able to stand on. When you build a platform and you fuck up, you've taken the time to put in equity in other places of your life. So if you make a mistake, they're e more easily forgiven because you already have built up all these other things that are positive. And I think that's the problem right now with John Jones. He's not taking the time to build a platform. He's standing on the tip of a pyramid, and he keeps falling off because he hasn't taken the time to put equity into making a platform to diversify what his worth is other than just being the greatest fighter of all time. I agree 125%. And I do want to stop right here and say I can fucking listen to you talk. All, like, like literally, your, your analogies are so fucking cool. Like, that's like the third time that I've caught myself just, like, picturing what you're saying. And I'm like, holy shit, like, like you're a fucking smart guy. And I really, I really appreciate it. I don't know about all that. I get hit in the head quite a bit, so I'm just trying to keep my shit together. <laughs> <laughs> no, man, I... Man, just before we get too 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 off topic again, um, which by the way, at the beginning of this, you did say that you would talk about midget porn, which I'm still gonna hold you to. Oh, I'm willing um, to. Don't you worry. <laughs> but before we get too far, are you are you worried about the the negative effects of getting hit in the head? Are you are you worried about that one day? Uh, of course. You know, it's why I stopped fighting full contact. Um. I talked to Robin Black. You know who Robin Black is or familiar with his work? I am, yeah. So me and Robin Black, um, we've actually, in my mind, are, you know, we've become closer friends. You know, he'll hit me up randomly. We'll shoot the shit. 
Uh, we help each other out. Like I, I consider him a friend and, uh, I always learn something from him, which is always nice to have in a friend is that, you know, you're constantly learning from each other. He's such a and, good uh, mind. He, uh, he told me that, which is a great theory, is that we all have it. Like if we've been in the martial arts and we fought for more than a decade, chances are good we already have it. And if you know too much about CTE, it's, it's degenerative. So once you have it, it doesn't just go away. It continues to get worse even if you stop fighting. So – I noticed at a young age that I was having some really major issues. I tell this story quite a bit. I don't know if I've told it to you before about um, when I fought in the smokers, um, about talking to a guy named Grandpa on a couch. Did I ever tell you that? No, never. So back in the day for the smoker fights, there used to be – for where we fought was a club called Plush at the time. It's not there anymore, but – uh, I used to fight at that club plush, and the only reason I was allowed to fight was because the promoter was my instructor. And so the deal was that I had to fight, but I had to immediately leave afterwards, which slowly but surely became I got to stay as long as I would help break down the ring because nobody else was staying to help break down the ring. And I was a teenager, and I allowed myself to be taken advantage of. So <laughs> I, um, I, I wind up fighting quite a bit, and – one night I was had my hands wrapped, which I didn't have to have them taped because they were amateurs um, and no one gave a shit about taping hands. Sometimes we even fought two or three times in a night. But I wrapped my hands up and I'm sitting on the couch and I'm speaking with a gentleman named Grandpa. And the reason his name was Grandpa is because he was old as shit to be fighting in a club. Right. He was like 55 years old or some shit. And he Holy still shit. showed up and he fought every Friday, sometimes multiple times because it was Friday night fights at Plush, which eventually turned into Super Slam Sundays. Um, so I'm sitting there on the couch and we only had one fighter room, which sucked. If you've ever had to wait in a fighter room with your fighter for like an hour, it's the worst shit ever, right? <laughs> there, the, the guy's staring at you. You're trying to warm up. He's like analyzing everything you're doing. Like, and of course these were smoker fights. So none of these fuckers knew what they were doing. Um, they were just drunk people that wanted to fight on a Friday night at a bar. And, uh, I'm sitting there having a conversation with him. And then I was on deck to fight. They called me up, and I went out, and I was like, hey, dude, I'll be right back. I went out, and apparently I had a three-round banger. Like, it was it, – I, I mean, I there was fucking blood everywhere, um, and I guess I had won. Uh, after the fight was over, it went all three rounds, went to decision. I won. I came back, and I sat back down on the couch, and I continued my conversation with Grandpa. As we were sitting there talking, somewhere in there, I had asked him, hey, when's my fight? And he looks at me, and he laughs, and I go, dude. No, for real. When's my fight? And he goes, he, he had a very concerned look on his face. And he was like, are, are you joking? I was like, no, like, I, I really want to know when my fight is. And he was like, dude, you already fought. And I guess I got a concussion, which is pretty standard now. But I, I, I had a concussion at the time. And for some reason, it had eliminated the memory of me sitting on the couch all the way up to me sitting back down on the couch. So the entire fight is just gone. It's no longer in my mind. Um, I looked down. I noticed I had fresh blood all over me. I was covered in sweat. Um, but for some reason, I just did not know I had fought because the concussion had fucked me up. And so at that moment, I don't remember. I think at that time, I think I might have been – I started fighting there when I was 15. I think by that time, I might have been like 17 years old. And so I was like, well, that's not good. And that wasn't my first concussion either. Um you know, and so over the years, I got more concussions, uh, things like being able to remember people's names, being able to remember times, directions, all that stuff started to escape me. 
then I, in my 20s, I wound up getting picked up uh, by an international kickboxing team called Team Full Circle. Um, I did that. We competed every weekend. Uh, every weekend we were at a tournament. So it was. It usually went, we'd do a local tournament as a warm-up, we'd do a state tournament, then we'd do a national, and then an international tournament. And we did that every year for two, uh, every weekend for two years. So I like to tell people that I traveled the world and got to see some of the greatest hotels ever uh, because I never <laughs> got to leave the hotels. Yeah. Um, you know, I got to see the airport. I got to see the hotel. Then we would leave. And, you know, every once in a while we got to travel and go out a little bit. But it was super rare because it was all about fighting. And, of course, you're fighting every weekend. And when you're not fighting, you're training to fight. So you're sparring and you're constantly just getting hit in the head. And then finally, I took two nasty losses, um, kickboxing losses, and I was just like, this isn't for me. And so I walked away um, and then I, I just I kept sparring. And then I realized, like, look, this isn't good for me. Like, there's something wrong here. And so I, I stepped back a little bit from it. And then now I kind of spar. And when I do spar, it's rare. But when I spar, it's really light. Like, I, I'll straight up – I have no problem now telling people, yo, dude, that's too hard. And if they do it again, I'm like, thank you. I touch gloves and I move on to another guy. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't have any problems. There's no ego in it anymore. It's not about who has the bigger dick. It's about training tomorrow. It's about remembering my name and my address. And so I'm sure with what I've done to my body from the time I was 12 to, like, 26 that I fucked myself up. But – to me, it gives me an opportunity to teach the next generation how to train smarter, you know, let them know I've been there, done that. I'm sure probably into my 50s, 60s that I'll see some really nasty damage. Um, but it is what it is. That's the sacrifice you make. My mom actually asked me one time. She said, what do you what do you think's going to happen to you when you're older? And I was like, well, I'm probably going to have a hard time remembering, uh, you know, a lot of it. And she she told me one time, and, and this was actually fairly recently. She was like, just just make sure that the things you do remember are, are what you want. And uh, and of course, the way she said it, I was kind of like, oh well, okay. And then I started thinking about it. I was like, you know what? Like like I'm about to have a kid, you know? Because she she told me this right before we had the the baby. And I was like, holy shit! Like these are things I want to I want to remember. And and um, I had a, a podcast with Ian McCall. Uh, what day is today? Today's Saturday. Uh, so like maybe like three days ago, I I done a podcast with Ian McCall, and and we were talking, and uh, and he was telling me about <clears throat> the uh, power of psilocybin mushrooms and 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 how that's supposed to be beneficial for your brain and and for CTE and, and stuff like that, and uh, and dude, I. I've had days, you know, because some days are better than others where, uh, you know, your anxiety is kind of ramped up and you're super fucking paranoid. And, and I've had bad sparring sessions, you know, because I've I've been all over uh, like with this with this dream now, you know, fighting. So I've done it in uh, Virginia, West Virginia, uh, fucking uh, North and South Carolina, you know, Florida. I've been everywhere. And you have different days in the gym where your fucking brain just doesn't feel good i guess and and dude i started getting super paranoid and and i started doing a lot of research on my own and then this shit comes out with the aaron hernandez documentary and then the chris benoit the vice documentary which was fucking incredible by the way have you seen it no i haven't seen the vice one no i saw the aaron hernandez one though but like for some reason like they harped on him being gay like 
way too much. I was like, talk more about the CT, you dude. I could care care who less whose dicky sucks. You know, right. like let me know about the damage, dude. <laughs> yeah, I was I was the same way. I was like, what does that what what does that have to do with anything? Like if you suck dicky <laughs> yeah, like, like <laughs> yeah, they're like, oh my god, CTE. Oh by the way, he's gay. Oh knock knock, he killed somebody, and he's gay. Like dude, who gives a shit? Like why why do y'all keep harping on this? And who is this random dude who keeps calling him gay with no evidence? <laughs> you, know? Oh my you know my favorite part was was his childhood best friend that was like oh yeah we uh yeah we sucked each other's dicks and i'm like bro you're literally trying to be famous for sucking a dude's dick yeah that is now that is now dead <laughs> what killed me about it was there was like no evidence or proof like you know how documentaries will be like hey here's a picture of this guy sucking that guy's dick for proof like it was just like hearsay his dad you know, was sitting right there his dad was sitting right there too. Like I don't, I don't know about you, but if my dad was sitting beside me, sucking some dude's dick would be like the last thing I would ever talk about. <laughs> you know, like you know, I'm not. You you could be gay. You know, gay it up. I don't give a shit. But like I've always been under the impression, right, that it's none of my business who, when, and how someone fucks someone. That's yeah. not my business. You know what I'm saying? And so like it's such a strange thing and very disrespectful. I would think. That I thought this so dude too. dies that you air his dirty laundry out for the world without him being able to have a say so. You know, I that's thought so too. I, I did too, and that's what really killed the the Hernandez documentary for me was because they they were airing out all of his dirty laundry, which um and I see this shit all the time like about like John Jones or about this person or that person like oh if you don't want your dirty dirty laundry aired don't do a crime. At the same time, this guy has fucking kids who are one day. Got to click on Netflix, see their dad's face, and then they're going to have to listen to fucking hours and hours of their, their Uncle Roger talking about sucking Aaron's dick. And that's just, <laughs> that's where I draw the line, you know? Um, Mom, we have something to do. <laughs> um, but no, that's there was the Aaron Hernandez documentary, and then if you haven't watched it, man, definitely. It's on Vice. It's called um, the... I think it's like The Ring After Dark or something, and they done like two episodes on Chris Benoit where they really talked about CTE, which I, um, I'm i like an old-school pro wrestling fan, so like I, I really enjoyed it. Um, but then I, I talked to Ian McCall on the podcast the other day, man, and and I really like what uh, what, what Ian's talking about as far as like CTE research with, with psilocybin and, and hallucinogens. And um, I went on a fucking Twitter rampage, dude, where I tweeted like four or five long-ass tweets back to back to back to back about psilocybin. And uh, I'm like, I'm glad that they're doing the research now and moving forward, you know, as somebody who's been cracked in the head a lot. Um, yeah, I started getting concussions at like 13, like wrestling, like, cause I was going to like the college in my town and like wrestling with, with those guys. And so yeah. I was like the smallest guy there and just getting fucking tossed. And I would love to like help out in any way. Um, like for CTE research, that's that's kind of like another thing that I'm like kind of passionate about now is like just teaching and and teaching how to take care of your fucking brain, man. Because it's it's looking like in this life we're only gonna end up with one. <laughs> for now. <laughs> for now, yeah. Well, you know, I had this weird this this crazy spell, man. It was like in January. Um, yeah, it was it was pretty rough. I was out with some friends. And it was the very beginning of the night. 
So I literally had a beer. Like, I know that people like to talk about, oh, only one. No, I really only had one. Mm -hmm. Um, I had ordered another one, and I was standing there, and we were all talking. And we were, like, in a circle. Um, And I back up because I needed – I felt like I needed air. And I woke up on the floor. And so when I – what happened, I I blacked out randomly, and I hit my head on a bar stool, and I hit my face on the concrete, um, which I'm 6'1". So my head fell six feet. Mm-hmm. Um, hit, bounced okay. off the bar stool, bounced yeah. off the concrete. That's when what I, I was came, about to say. It hit twice. Yeah, I got lucky. Luckily, I hit the bar stool and not directly on the concrete. I think it's what saved my life. But when I woke up, uh, my motor functions weren't working properly. So in my mind, I could say I knew where I was. I did the checklist. Okay, I can feel everything. But I'm looking up and like all my friends are staring at me concerned. And I guess I had a small seizure after I hit my head, which is also very concerning. Um, When I came to, um, you know, I looked up and they kept asking me questions and I could not verbalize anything like nothing was coming out. And so that happened. That went on for like five minutes until the ambulance got there. When the ambulance finally got there. Um, you know, they assumed that I had just passed out because I was drunk. So they weren't concerned at all, nor did they seem like they gave a shit. And so they checked my blood sugar. I guess they checked my blood alcohol level, realized I wasn't drunk, and then they got a little concerned. And they were like, hey, man, if you can't respond or you can't get up and move, we're going to have to take you in the ambulance. But they kept repeating, do you want us to take you to the hospital? And in my mind, I'm like, I want to go to the hospital. I just don't want to go with you, <laughs> you know? And Don't so that I know how expensive that fucking ride is going to be, <laughs> even with a concussion. I know what the, how, <laughs> I can calculate finances. And so I was like, finally got out the words, no. And they were like, oh, well, if you can't get up and move out of here on your own, we have to take you. And I was like, for some somehow, magically, I got my legs under me and I walked to someone's car and I just fell into the car. And so Shit. they did all the tests that they could possibly do. I had a CAT scan. Um you know, they, they, they checked all my vitals and everything was fine. But, you know, what always is, has, concerns me, and of course it's a concern of any fighter I would imagine in this day and age, is that they cannot test for CTE until after you die. And so I hope that we get to the point in which they can test for it before you die. So that way, when you do have like these odd moments of making these poor decisions randomly or, or doing something that's completely out of character – they can find out if it is that, and they may be, be able to help you kind of understand and how to handle and manage it until they find a way to fix it or help it, you know? Wasn't there a uh, – I think they mentioned it on the Hernandez documentary now that I think about it, but uh, a football player shot himself in the chest because he, he wanted his, his brain, uh, um, I guess, like scanned, like checked out. Do you, you don't remember hearing about that? I do remember he killed himself on purpose so that way he could be a test subject. Yeah, and it's it's fucking sad, man, that that this shit's like when you think about it, like fighting is I'm like pretty the last sure that was way. Junior Seau. I, that's okay, that's what I thought. That was the name that I had in my brain, but I was like, wait a second, is that I don't want to like. <laughs> yeah, I um, think he like left a note or some shit. Like that was the whole reason he killed himself is I guess he was like he kind of started to understand what was going on with himself. Um. Because it is – it's a very odd thing, your brain. And, you know, we want to think that we're in control, but, you know, just like anything else, we're starting to realize that you, sometimes we're just predisposed to certain things. Um, 
and then sometimes there are certain things that affect your brain like for instance uh when certain people you know when you get a tumor you know like that tumors have been known to to do some crazy shit to people you know like there's a there was one case where this guy had like a nasty brain injury and when he came to he could speak multiple languages and then there was another case where this dude had a nasty brain injury and he has like debilitating migraines but he could play like the most beautiful piano out of nowhere and he never had been able to play piano before oh shit i forget what it's called there's like a name for it but it's like something savat it's like where a, an injury to your brain causes you to become some type of a savat in something um because your brain is so fucking weird wired that if it could get damaged and make you a billion times better at something then it could be damaged and cause you to do other shit that you normally probably wouldn't do and see like that's that's another thing like like i hate to fucking keep going back to john jones but but this dude's acting fucking erratic like yeah, at some point you have to think that people who are making these these irrational fucking decisions and they're they're acting these weird types of way, like you have to think that it's something going on in their fucking brain that, that shouldn't be. There's a fucking misfire in there somewhere. Um, and it's it. You said a second ago that that it's we can't test it without the subject being dead. Like that's fucking that's that's scary right there. Like that's well, yeah, so scary. Is. That's scary that all these things are gonna fly under people's fucking radar and people are going to potentially uh hurt themselves or hurt others you know look at the chris benoit situation there was three people that died that didn't fucking have to um yeah shit like, like that's gonna how it was described to me like how cte kind of works and this is just how it was described to me is like your brain has all like these synapses right and they're constantly firing all the time like with thoughts and ideas and i'm smelling this and like your brain's working overtime all the time right Mm -hmm. which is why we need to sleep (laughs) and so that way your shit gets a little rest but whenever you 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 look at like the synapses or whatever i guess uh it's kind of like glow sticks and so there's like all these neural pathways in your brain but after your brain gets hit enough it kind of snaps those neural pathways and it's kind of like a glow stick in which after the glow stick breaks the the fluid starts to leak out and uh, it's kind of the same way from what i can tell with cte is after getting hit repeatedly over and over and over again eventually those little like those little synapses or whatever break and it causes like a toxin to be released into your brain and it doesn't like ever really stop leaking out it's just kind of a constant slow drip which is why it's degenerative and it never truly stops. And the only way they can really test is they literally cut your brain open and they open it. And then they can see these little black splotches that are where the, the, the true CTE has caused issues, which could cause issues on any random part of your brain. And your brain has all these different like jobs, like all these different areas of your brain cause different things. So like some people have CTE and you get like what they call punch drunk. You know, you can see somebody and just go, that motherfucker's not right. You don't know what it is. You know, you just know he's not speaking the way he used to speak to. For some reason, he can't stop moving. And to me, I think those people, the CTE affected them in a different way. Maybe not their personality, but at least their fine motor skills are fucked up. Mm-hmm. You know, and then some people, it, you can tell their memory is shot. Some people you can tell, like, you know, we, we don't know if Muhammad Ali was directly related to CTE, but, you know, like... If I had to bet dollars to donuts, I bet you it is, you know? Mm-hmm. 
Yep. And that's that's what's so fucking scary, man, is like you never truly know. And I'm like I'm glad that this research is available now because I discovered it at a young age. Um, you know, like I said, like I've been getting, you know, concussions or, or you know, some little little head traumas, you know, here and there, uh, ever since I was like fifteen, thirteen, fourteen, you know, years old. Um, and now at twenty five I realize that like I don't like like I've just I've matured to it. So now I understand like this is this is fucking dangerous. Like, you know what I mean? Like, why not protect what I have? Um, and I, I hope the fucking research comes out, man. And, and I hope that, I hope there's a lot more research done on this because like, it's super sad that it's affecting like the last of the gladiators, you know? Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I think that what eventually will happen is we'll find the evolution in the sport and, you know, like personally now, like now that I know what I know, like I, I never encourage my guys to wear headgear. And um, the reason is, is because it's a little bit more detrimental than it than it's helpful. Mm-hmm. So like when you have a headgear on, right, what happens is one, somebody automatically assumes they can hit you harder because of the headgear, which doesn't actually stop your brain from rattling around in your skull at all. Um, the other thing that it does is it creates a bigger target. It, it hurts your peripheral vision, so it makes it harder for you to see. Um, it also makes it way hotter for your head. Um, so all of these things aren't necessarily good for you. Um, so what I've been doing instead over the years is now I encourage my fighters to just simply not fight so fucking hard. <laughs> you know, like yep. the, the goal here isn't to have a fight here. Your fight is in the ring. The goal here is to get used to being able to use your technique and think clearly during this time. Now, the closer we get to fight time, the reason that they wear a headgear isn't because to save their brain, it's to stop them from getting a cut in which yep. will stop them from being able to fight. And there's so many fighters out there now, I see it a lot in the Middle East, where they'll have their fighters, or their gyms do this, they'll have their fighters just stand there while the coach tees off on their head because they think that's conditioning them. That is the stupidest shit I've ever seen in my life. Like one guy was like, he was very devout about how it was like conditioning his chin. And I'm like, dude, I'm trying to help you here. I'm not trying to down you or make fun of you. But I was like, I've been around and I can tell you one thing for sure that I am positive of that shit ain't helping you. Yeah. that <laughs> I seen that video. Actually, you shared it. Um, it was the, the guy standing on the wall, right? Yep. Yeah. I seen that shit. That like the shit that you post sometimes blows my mind that there are literally people that, that uh i guess fall for it which is fucking scary dude coaches have a power over the student you know it's just how they choose to use it is kind of what makes it a difference between a a martial arts studio and a cult is when the this in my mind anyway in my eyes it's not a cult if the leader has your best interests in mind like he really does care about what's best for you it becomes a cult when the leader only cares about what's best for him and so when I see these coaches doing that, to me, it just seems like a power trip. It's like they don't they didn't take the time to research head injury and trauma. They didn't take the time to truly find out if that was good for you or not. They're just regurgitating some bullshit that they think will help you, even though they didn't take the time to truly look into your best interests. You know, like then these fighters, it's like, why don't we have a lot of Middle Eastern guys who were just whooping wholesale ass? Well, it's probably because of that bullshit, you know? I, uh, sorry, I was trying to find that video. 
I'm I'm like literally just scrolling down trying to find that video. That shit blew my mind though. And like like you're right, it's pure fucking negligence is all it is. Um before I let you go, man, um I know we share a sponsor, but do you uh do you wanna shout your sponsors out or anything? Yeah, definitely. So I'd like to thank Killcliff and I'd like to thank Free Sleeve. Um they helped me keep the lights on, you know. Um Killcliff is a pre, during and post workout drink um for for you know when you're about to exercise um and then of course free sleeve is a compression sleeve which i have been really taking advantage of um basically it's like a, a cold compress but it it's a sleeve so it like wraps all the way around your arm instead of having to like tape a bag of ice to you <laughs> so and they make it for like every part of your body which is awesome they make it for your knees they make it for your elbows they make it for your shoulder um it's awesome i really enjoy i really enjoy what they do so those are my sponsors right now i just truly appreciate them yeah yeah man dude i I truly appreciate you coming on this was fucking fun man even though we didn't get to talk about midget porn or uh or uh yeah have you seen tiger king tiger king is incredible dude holy shit and uh, carol baskin definitely killed her husband yeah, fuck that bitch, Carol Baskins. <laughs> I can't believe we just went two hours and we didn't even fucking mention Tiger King. Ah, dude, so God. did you binge it in a day or did you? Did it, did oh, it take I watched you a it while? one night. I sat oh, down. Hell yeah. Yeah, once I started, it was like potato chips. I just could not stop. It was just such a train wreck. Oh, God. You know, there's another train wreck I really like to watch. Um, It's not as popular. Um, but it didn't come out on Netflix like that. It's called The Wonderful Whites of West Virginia. Oh my God, yes. I'm from I'm from that area. Those guys are fucking celebrities to me. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's a fantastic documentary. It was made from from the guys who make Jackass. And uh, if anybody hasn't seen it, I truly suggest you watch it. Now, it, it it's gonna take a second, but just understand that these people are about as trashy as humanly possible. And then as it goes on, just some of the things that they do is utter ridiculous, but it's normal to them. And uh, it's, it's fascinating to hear their story and how they all came to be how they are. Man, it's uh, I forgot all about that movie until you until you just said that. Um, all right, man, if people want to find you really quick, let's link that up. It is at McDojo Life on Instagram, correct? Yeah, so we have a Twitch right now, which is McDojo Life. Our YouTube channel is McDojo Life. Um, we recently are fighting to get our Facebook back. We had a little bit of a copyright issue, so we're fighting to get that back. Um, but everything else is on at McDojo Life. Um, we're really excited to be expanding and branching out with new ideas, new content, and stuff like that. Um, we really want to make it something that's more than just calling out frauds. We want to make it something that actually helps the community. I love it, dude. I love it. I super appreciate you. Before I let you go, I just want to say um, I've been trying to get more and more guests on. Um, yeah. So if anybody if anybody is listening and would like to come on the podcast, because somebody actually asked me the other day, like, how do you pick your guest? Dude, I would let – I literally, like, I let my best friend, like, my childhood best friend come on the other day, like, like just to fucking do it. So if you want to well, come can, on the I podcast – I can tell you one thing that's really easy. Yes. So, like, I, maybe if you just want a little advice, like what I do, um, I basically just go through uh, my people who follow me, mm-hmm. and I look for a blue check mark. And oh, I yeah. find out what they do, and I find out if it rhymes or reasons with my brand, and then I invite them on. 
Um, yeah. But you'd be amazed. Like there's a fantastic book if you get the opportunity to read it. It's called The Four Hour Workweek. Mm-hmm. And in the Four Hour Workweek, it talks of it gives an experiment, and the experiment is to back then, of course, it was to write a letter to ten people who you would think would never write you back. And um, oh wow. So I kind of live by that philosophy now is that whoever I want to have on the show, I reach out and I just ask. Like I never put them on pedestals. I just say, hey, would you be willing to? And you would be amazed some of the guests that I got just by doing that. No shit. I'm, I'm actually I'm going to try that as soon as uh, as soon as we finish and I get this one edited. I want to I want to branch out because like, like I was telling you before we got started, um, I was on a lot of the bare knuckle stuff and I've done a lot of fighting and MMA. And uh, I'm trying to uh, I'm trying to slide into that little that little gray area between Joe Rogan and uh, and uh, Howard Stern to where I can talk about CTE, but I can also talk about uh, midget porn and, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean. Like I, I want to be able to interview sex workers and fighters and and the occasional fucking. Let me tell you, Ian McCall. Um, I almost called him a scientist, but Ian McCall has has a gift, man, and uh, I cannot shout that guy out enough. So that was Uncle my last creepy, episode. Right? Uncle Creepy, man, he is so fucking smart, dude. I seriously, I love talking to him, and I enjoyed talking to you. You, you two so far are probably my two favorite guests, um, because like he he taught me so much about the brain and and uh, and psilocybin mushrooms, man, which I would have never fucking thought of could be beneficial, but they are apparently super beneficial. Yeah, that, that I got to look into that. <laughs> yes, sir. Robert, it has been fucking incredible, my man. I uh, I appreciate you. Yeah, not a problem, dude. I appreciate you having me on, man. Thank you. No problem, man. You have a good night. I'm going to quit recording, and uh, awesome, bro. Well, thank you, man. I <laughs>